my home was kind of, you know, blue collarish, and uh, my father was a, a working man, you know, worked in a factory. You know, but in my home, within the walls of my home, there's a lot of confrontation and conflict all the time. It was like a lot of yelling and screaming and my parents fighting and it was a harsh environment, let's say that. There weren't a lot of examples of genuine love and uh, intimacy in our home growing up. At the age of 17, my parents got divorced and that hit me pretty hard. And that was right around the time, right when I went off to college. But I played football, so football provided a really good arena for me to kind of release the rage and the anger that I felt inside growing up that I couldn't really demonstrate in my home. By the age of 20 years old, I got into a head-on collision one summer night, and I was nearly killed in that head-on collision, and I couldn't play football anymore. And see, that was significant in my life because... Football satisfied a couple of needs in my life ever since I was a little kid. And one of the needs was the ability to show emotion. There was, we weren't allowed to show emotion in my home. And so that became the perfect place for me to do that because, it, as you well know, the game of football, the more physical you are, the more violent you are, the louder the applause, right? So in that respect, it was a great game for me. And the applause, the approval of the fans, was a need that was satisfied for me, receiving the approval of other people because I never really felt like I was approved of in my home, if you can understand what I mean. After I got into that car accident, you know, the doctor said, look, your gridiron days are over, Mike, um, but you're lucky to be alive. <laughs> and I said to him, uh, well, I didn't say anything. I actually lay there thinking, you know, maybe I'm lucky to be alive from where you're standing, but from where I'm laying, I really wish I was killed in that car accident because football was that significant to me. It was the only thing in my life that I ever knew I was good at. And now in the blink of an eye, you know, the one thing I was good at, the one thing that I got positive attention from, it was gone. It was shortly after that that I met a young lady, and as we grew closer, I got closer with her father, where it seemed that I had a real difficult time winning the approval and the affection of my own father, I really had no problem winning the affection and approval of her dad. And um, he embraced me for the person I was. And so uh, I fully invested myself into my relationship with him because that was kind of like the relationship I would have liked to have had with my father. But the only problem with this man was he was involved in organized crime. Well, you know, they say, show me who your friends are and I'll tell you where you're going to be in five years. It only took three years for me. <laughs> so within three years of that car accident, two years of meeting that gentleman, um, I was arrested in Newark, New Jersey uh, in the fall of 1982, and I was indicted on six counts, totaling 60 years in prison. So we ultimately pleaded not guilty, and we went to trial. Our case was tried for two weeks, and then the jury returned um, a verdict of guilty. I was immediately um, detained in the Essex County Jail awaiting sentencing, and I was sentenced in the fall of 1983 to seven years in prison, and ultimately I went to prison and served three years of that seven years. Obviously, going to prison for anyone is going to be a uh, an experience that's going to have an impact on their lives, but for you, there was one particular instance that was what I would consider a life-changing incident. Tell me a little bit about that, if you would, please. 
I laid there that night after I got the sentence and I said to myself, what am I going to do with the next three years of my life? And I said, well, I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to stay high and I'm never going to remember I was here. What ends up happening is, is I was gambling with an inmate and when the bell rang for count, I was down 30 cigarettes. And so I took the cigarettes out and I, I was going to put them on his bed and he said, no, no, no. He says, you don't owe me 30 cigarettes. You owe me 30 packs. And I'm like, don't even try it. We were playing for single cigarettes. Here's your money. And I just tossed him on his bed. He's like, you'll see. You're going to pay me. He goes, you got until next Tuesday to pay me. And so basically, you know, I lay in bed every night and these inmates, you know, they're talking to me about what they're going to do to me if I don't pay their money. And, and I've seen these guys in action. And so I, I know that they mean business. But your options are few when you're in prison, and you really can't count on guards to protect you. So your protection really comes from yourself. I couldn't go to the cops because then I'd be a rat. I couldn't pay this guy what he wanted because then everybody would be coming to me looking for free stuff. And for me, the best option was to take him out. In other words, when he came to get his money, well, may the best man win. And so I had another inmate make me a shank. I paid him a carton of cigarettes for that. And I made up my mind to do what I, I really truly believed I had to do to survive. So the week passed and the Tuesday came. These guys came walking into my cell after chow. And so I stood up and I have this shank in my hand and it's hidden by a book that I'm holding. And he came in with four individuals behind him. And he said, today's payday. And I said, look, Lenny, I told you, I'm not giving you nothing. And he started smiling at me. So as he's smiling, he turns around to the men standing behind him, and he says to them, you hear that? He ain't giving us nothing. And I'm thinking to myself, thanks for offering up the jugular, bro, because he made it really easy on me. And as soon as I was going to go to stab him, I heard a voice ask me out loud, how's it feel, tough guy? And that voice stopped me in my tracks. Because remember, that guy wasn't looking at me anymore. Nobody in front of me spoke those words. And in fact, Bernie, I had a physical reaction to hearing those words. Every cell in my body in that moment just became consumed with shame. And so here's why. You know, you hear the story about these guys who are trying to extort me and threatening my life to pay them money that I don't owe them. But I don't think I shared this with you yet. And that is the fact that I went to prison primarily for the crime of extortion, for threatening the lives of other people to pay me money they didn't owe me. And so now here I was standing essentially face-to-face -face with myself. You, you, you know what I'm saying? And I can't think of a better way to strip a man of his pride and his arrogance than to bring him face-to-face -face with who he really is. And so that voice that said, how's it feel, tough guy, it really echoed in me, it resonated with me in this way. How does it feel to be your victim? How does it feel to genuinely fear you're going to lose your life because someone's threatening you to pay a debt you don't know? And you know what, Bernie? It didn't feel good at all. Essentially, that became the moment when I really did start to believe in God. I challenged myself, or I was challenged, to read the Bible, to kind of settle that issue once and for all, is God who he says he is, is this man Jesus Christ who he claims to be. And so I, I literally spent 
the next three years studying the Bible. And my life changed dramatically, even though I was in prison. And um, that's a really tough place to walk that walk. That voice that you heard back in prison, How Does It Feel, Tough Guy, is the title of a book you wrote. Tell me a little bit about that, if you would, please. You know, for a lot of years, Bernie, people have told me, you know, when they heard all my stories and how I've been in jail and, and I've stayed out of jail, they encouraged me to write a book. But to them, the big story was I never went back to jail. But I never shared with them the fact that I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I never really believed that I could write a book. I sat down about six years ago, and I began writing How's It Feel Tough Guy? From Prisoner of Pride to Prisoner of Hope. The book deals with more issues than just incarceration and addiction. It deals with um, divorce. It deals with domestic violence. There's a love story in there as well. I don't know that anyone who reads this book won't see something of themselves in this book. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us tonight. Oh, it's been a privilege, Bernie. Thank you so much.